We should do something for Bill before he forget. Um, okay. We told him at Midwest Gaming Classic that we would do something for him, and then it's like, hey, you know what? It's noisy here. Let's just do it later when uh, when it's not noisy. So when we recorded the next episode, we forgot, and then we've recorded the next episode after that, we forgot again. This time, we didn't forgot. And we didn't forgot to record something for our friend Bill Pepper at the Atari Bytes podcast. We love this show so much that we actually listen to it. How rarity that is. Yeah. Here you go from your friends at the Pie Factory podcast. That was actually pretty clever for not being clever at all. Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 215. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It's a brand new day, brand new episode. I almost didn't think it was going to get here. I woke up this morning, uh, being the Sunday. I typically record the next episode on the Sunday that you're hearing a prior episode. And started getting messages. Specifically, I got a message from Mark Super. Thanks, Mark. Uh, saying, hey, dumbass, your episode didn't post. Okay, he didn't actually call me a dumbass, but he did want me to know that the episode, it weren't there. So I started looking, and for some reason, Libsyn, yeah, I'm calling you out, Libsyn, posted the uh, the uh, social media post that I, that I drafted saying, hey, new episode, but there were no episode. So I fixed that. It should be working fine now. Certainly by the time you're hearing this episode, it should have been fixed. Um, but I think it got fixed the morning of the, uh, the release day. So a little bit late, but uh, still there. So I appreciate you guys letting me know when these glitches come up. So then I was trying to get my paperwork, my you know, the instructions for this week's game, and my notes and stuff to print, and that wasn't working. And actually, as I was getting ready to, to record this part, I was doing all my preliminary stuff, and like 20 minutes ago, I told the printer to print something, and as I was just about to hit record for this part of the show, from the other room, I could hear the printer just now going and printing the thing I asked for 20 minutes ago. So that's kind of how the day is going so far. But we're here. That's okay. Um, we've got an episode to go. I have Atari games. I have Peanut Butter Captain Crunch right out of the box that I'm enjoying while putting the show together today. Apparently, I am 10 years old. Uh, I guess that's what's going on there, but that's okay. I'm not going to play the Mad Mike theme. Uh, as you know, Mad Mike has left us. The segments, obviously, I'm pretty much done with that segment of the show, but I did want to mention that the folks behind the Rocket Man page on social media did respond to some of the comments from people that came out after the accident. So here's what they said on February 27th on the Rocketman Mad Mike's mission to prove the flat earth. Rest easy, Michael Hughes. Thank you to everyone for the outpouring of support and kind words. It means a lot souring. I assume that's supposed to be during, but it says it means a lot souring this difficult time. 
There's also a flip side to that coin I wanted to address. We live in a different world where we type comments without thinking on our phones, compete for views and likes, and instinctively go back to our work forgetting what we did seconds earlier. These past few days I've been amazed at the genuine lack of empathy people put on full display for the whole world to see. In an effort to exude some show of power to get a rise out of others for an ill-timed laugh or just be mean. The irony is in posting something so transparently obvious in that it shows their true side, a small-minded, insecure person with no empathy toward a fellow human. What if that person you were berating was your relative, your friend, your father? How about stepping back for a moment before impulsively reaching, er, reacting and instead taking a moment to think? In addition to making yourself look like a feeble-minded individual with no empathy, your actions might directly affect others in a negative way. There's always more layers to that story to the story than simply reducing someone to a headline. I understand and know it's difficult to take the high road and show some respect, but perhaps in doing so, we all could learn more about ourselves and become better humans. Uh, and then it's uh, uh, signed by at Toby Brusso. And then they have a Mad Mike quote. We're supposed to come to the end of our lives not with anything left, but everything exhausted. The tires are blowed out. You're out of gasoline. You're coming to a screeching halt. You know you've done everything you can possibly do. I just wanted to mention that cause even in the, in the things that I saw after the accident, there were a, a number of posts along the lines of good riddance or kind of laughing at the uh, you know the flat earther, kind of getting what he deserved, that kind of thing. And I think I mentioned it last week too that uh, I don't think that's really the right, right uh, tack to take. I didn't necessarily agree with what he was doing. I respected the fact that he was you know, do what he wanted to do, and he built a flipping rocket and shot it up into the air. I couldn't do that, uh, and I wouldn't uh, have the right kind of guts to do that. Uh, so, you know, I gave him props for that. I think it was a goofy thing to do, but I I am sorry that he's gone, right? It's, it's tragic when anyone dies uh, in an accident like that. So I agree with the sentiment that Thinking that he got what he deserved or that it's good that he's dead or that kind of thing. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, I don't I don't buy into that. Um, and I would agree that um, we should just remember that he had friends and family uh, who were mourning the loss of their, of their friend and family. So I just wanted to mention that um, it's maybe a lesson for all of us because uh, they're correct. Social media makes it really easy to put whatever impulse you have right out there on display, whereas in the old days, if you had to pick up a phone to call somebody or write a physical letter or that kind of thing, you had some time to think about what you were going to say and maybe realize, maybe I shouldn't say that. And even in this instant gratification world, maybe it's a good idea to just take a few seconds to think about, is that really what I want to say? So, as I'd mention it, uh, I guess we're pretty much done with Mad Mike Hughes at this point. Somebody asked me, Sean asked me, Sean Courtney, hi Sean. If there's going to be a new segment uh, to fill this part of the show, there probably will. Uh, I don't know what it'll be. If you guys have thoughts, go ahead and send them to me, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll take one of your ideas. But for now, let's get on to the news. I guess first we have some feedback. This is actually old feedback. Uh, apologies to Sean Courtney again, by the way. This is feedback to episode 212, the Batgammon episode. I meant to share this with you a while ago, and then I just honestly I just forgot so apologies to Sean for that so I'm just looping back around to pick that up 
the post that I put up uh, announcing that 212 was, was available, he wrote a response. Here's what Sean had to say. I honestly thought nobody ever played backgammon, and ergo they never actually made rules for it. True story. Comedy sports in Chicago used to have a high school league. They'd invite high school improv teams to take their classes and compete in a tournament. Sadly, they discontinued the high school league a few years ago. But my wife was the improv coach at her school, and ergo got to see the tournaments. I was watching one school's team, and someone called out, Backgammon, when the referee asked the audience for a suggestion. Clearly, these poor kids had zero clue what backgammon was, but in improv, you need to take the suggestion and roll with it. One girl thought it involved a bat, because she thought she heard it as batgammon, which, Sean, honestly, I think that would make backgammon way more exciting uh, if you introduced uh, weaponry. Uh, Sean continues, of course, improv rules state that the bit doesn't have to be about the audience suggestion, but merely a jumping off point. Basically what I do with the stories that you're gonna, that you hear every week on this show. Never really about the game, just sort of uh, inspired by a jumping off point. Uh, and then Sean says, they could have bailed themselves out by starting with something like, so I have to play backgammon later with my grandmother. I have no idea how to play. You think I should have her try something else? I responded to Sean that my new life goal is to just shout backgammon at an improv show. And I suggested other fun things you could shout at an improv show, like uh, transcendentalism or argyle. When I was in college, I wrote for the uh, newspaper, the Daily Iowan, the award-winning Daily Iowan at the uh, University of Iowa. That's where I went to college. And I was, uh, I was on the school paper, the, the Daily Iowan. I said that already. And for some reason, I remember covering a comedy it was comedy sports i think uh they did a show uh, i don't remember where the show was at but i covered it and then i wrote an article about it and i don't remember what the audience suggestion was for some reason it sticks in my brain the one improv player uh responding oh that's great thank you to the audience member and that's you know other than in an improv show that's not generally a thing you see right that Part of the fun of an improv show is that interaction, obviously, between the audience and the players on stage. I've I've only done, I, I have acted some, I'm kind of meandering off the top to backgammon here, but I've acted some on stage, uh, you know, never on camera or anything, but on stage, uh, I've done some acting, but it was scripted acting, you know, memorizing lines and, and saying the lines. And I've done some writing, some theatrical writing, plays and whatnot. I've done the tiniest bit, tiniest bit of improv and have discovered that while I'm pretty good not on stage thinking about what you would do in an improv, I'm not actually good, frankly, in the moment putting out there what's in my head. I'm always a couple of steps behind. I'm like, oh, I should have done this in that moment. But by then that moment, by that point, the moment's gone. So I give big, I have big respect for improvers, comedy sports, uh, Second City, you know, that kind of stuff. So, big props to that. I don't know what the hell I would do with the suggestion of backgammon uh, if I was, for some reason, doing improv. So as far as backgammon the game, I mentioned this in the episode. I have, I think I still have a backgammon board, maybe two even, for some reason, uh, in the cabinet with all the games. Uh, I think I said Henry and I were going to get it out and try it because we did not have fun playing backgammon. Atari game, we were going to try and get out the physical game and actually see if that was more fun. Uh, we haven't done that yet. If any of you have lots of love or hatred for either improv or backgammon, let me know. Thanks, Sean. Sorry for the delayed response to your uh, social media post. All right. 
I promised news here. I have no news. So let's just... What do you think? Should we talk about a video game? Alright. This week's game is... Sword Quest Fire World from Atari, 1983. So this is the second Sword Quest game that we've talked about here on the podcast. Uh, we've done Earthworld already back in episode 67. Those of you who actually remember, or if you go back and listen, because what the heck, why don't you go back and listen to episode 67 and then come back and finish this one. I talked about Earthworld, the game. I also had an interview in that episode with Chad Bowers and Chris Sims. They had just written a comic book series for Dynamite Entertainment based on Sword Quest, which was focused more on the contest. Of course, those of you who know the Sword Quest history, there was a contest tied with the uh, video game that people could, players could enter, uh, and Atari would, uh, I think the deal was they would like give them a sword or some ridiculous thing, and then there was all this mystery behind it. I don't think the contest ever got finished. They never awarded the sword, that kind of thing. So there's a contest or the comic book that Bowers and Sims did it was like it was like a five book series about these uh, this guy and his friends who back in the day had tried to do the contest and this was like brought up to current day basically trying to finish what they started. Um, it was a pretty good comic. Sims and Bowers were were fun. It was a fun interview. Uh, I would suggest you go back uh, and listen to that and go look for the comic. Uh, I don't know if you can still get it or not, but go look for it. Uh, it was a fun comic, and uh, and I had fun talking to him. So, we've done Earthworld. We're doing Fireworld now. As always, horning in on my action, Atari offers a story to go with their game. I might have to sue them, even though their story came like 30 years before mine. Welcome to Fireworld. You may have already traveled through Earthworld and succeeded in solving the Earthworld, pu- Earthworld puzzle. No, I didn't. Fireworld is the second in a series of four worlds that you must pass through on your quest for the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. You enter Fireworld as a mighty warrior. Your skill and courage will be tested with dangerous trials and obstacles. The object of the game is to solve the puzzle. Duh. The Fireworld puzzle is based on the Tree of Life, with ten rooms linked together by ten rooms. What? Ten rooms linked together by ten rooms with doorways. Alright. Fireworld has ten treasure chest rooms, some containing different magical objects. These objects will help you on your journey through Fireworld. Carrying particular objects will help you find clues. Before you can explore these rooms, you'll be called upon to demonstrate certain skills, just as Tor and Terra are tested in the Fireworld comic book. As a warrior, your skills are important for conquering Fireworld. To help you in your quest, you will be armed with the Fireworld comic book. Uh, spoiler, I was not armed with the Fireworld comic book when I was field reporting this game. Uh, which contains uh, contains additional clues. Some clues will come from a combination of both the comic book and the game program cartridge. These clues will refer back to the enclosed comic book and hint at the solution to the Fireworld puzzle. Just to be clear, although this should be obvious, the comic book they're talking about was a pack-in comic, not the Bowers and Sims comic from 2017, because that would be some weird time travel stuff, and I'm just not mentally prepared for that. Gameplay. Oh, hold on. we got to finish the story. You have just leaped into the blazing flames of Fireworld. See if you can survive and triumph. As a warrior, you'll need courage and skill, but you also need to be a detective and an explorer to find the hidden clues and solve the Fireworld puzzle. Remember, this game is a puzzle. You keep telling me that. How can I forget it? These instructions will not tell you how to solve the puzzle, but together with the comic book, you uh, will help you find the necessary clues to solve the puzzle. You will have to use trial and error to methods to obtain the information needed to solve the Fireworld puzzle. 
In Fireworld, you encounter 10 different rooms. There are 16 objects randomly located throughout these rooms, but you can only take 6 objects at a time. As you leave the right objects in the correct rooms, you will receive clues that will help you solve the puzzle. Figure 1 shows what each object looks like. These are some of the magical objects will help, which help Tor and Tara, Tara in their quest for the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. Here you go. See there in the back? You gotta open your eyes to look. Alright. Put down your own sort of ultimate sorcery. We're not doing that here. Alright. So basically we've got an old lamp, a rope, an amulet, a chalice, water, talisman of passage, a ring, and leather armor. Oh, wait, there's more. The cloak of invisibility, the shoes of stealth, the dagger, the shield, the warrior sword, the grappling hook, the short sword, and food. The most important object is the chalice. Without it, you'll be barred from entering a secret room. The secret room is at the center of the Tree of Life. The magic chalice contains water to cool and protect Tor and Tara from the intense heat of Fireworld. And when you find it, magic doors open for you. If you leave the right object in the appropriate room, you get a clue. Each clue refers back to the comic book. For example, numeral 5 could mean look on page 5 for a clue to the Fireworld puzzle. By trial and error, you will learn how to interpret each clue. Before you can enter the 10 treasure chest rooms in Fireworld, you will be expected to perform a skill and action sequence. For example, you might be required to catch razor-sharp knives, dodge flaming firebirds, or even kill venomous snakes. Tor and Tara must also survive some dangerous stunts. After competing the skill, completing the skill and action sequences, you, like Tor and Tara, shall gain wisdom, mercy, power, understanding, and perhaps valuable prizes as well. So you've got the, uh, they have different screenshots here. You've got the deadly snakes, the flaming firebirds. That's mostly what I saw in the field report. The flaming firebirds and also the flying fire goblins, which really just look like big birds to me. Uh, I did not see in my field report the deadly snakes. I did see, okay, I did see the flaming hot knives. That's what those things were. Uh, they did not, frankly, look like knives to me. I did not see the jawing salamanders or the fire-breathing dragons. Um, using the joystick for this, to start the game, press the red controller button, use the joystick to move your warrior up, down, right, or left. To pick up an object, position the cursor directly over the object and press the red controller button. I don't know where the objects were in the random placement in the field report, but I didn't see a single object. Not that I'm bitter about that. To move from room to room, position your warrior in the doorway and walk through the exit and down the hallway into another doorway. I think I mentioned in the field report my favorite part of this game is going through the doorways because there's this weird tunnel effect and this kind of cool little eerie noise. It's kind of fun. Some doors are locked, which means they are invisible. However, certain objects will slow show you how to will uh, will allow you to unlock those doors. If you press the red button while in a room with doorways, you will move into a skill and action sequence. After you've completed the skill, the program automatically moves you into another room with doorways or into a treasure chest room with objects. If you find yourself in a treasure chest room, you may pick up or drop off any object. Remember, you can only carry six objects at a time. To leave a treasure chest room, move the cursor to the small open door in the lower left corner of the room, and press the red controller button. Helpful hint, use paper and pencil while playing Fireworld. I didn't do that. Write down clues and keep a log of different moves for reference during gameplay. Just because you use an object to obtain one clue, doesn't mean the same object can't help you again. And then they hopefully they have one page in the manual, which is a reference log for you to write stuff. And that is how you play Sword Quest Fire World. Or is it? That could be part of the puzzle. I saw an article on atlasobscura.com 
The Quest for the Real-Life Treasures of Atari's Sword Quest. It's an article by Eric Grundhauser from, 19, er, from 2016. Sort of a history of the contest and whatnot. A solid gold sword, a diamond-encrusted chalice, a bejeweled talisman. Playing Atari in the 1980s, these were some of the prizes you could win. Not delivered in pixel form on a screen, but as real-world treasures placed in the palm of your hand. Atari commissioned five such prizes, prizes worth a total of $150,000, all to promote the fantasy adventure game series Sword Quest. The contest was one of the most audacious in video game history, and offered the chance to go on a digital quest for real treasure. The contest began in spectacular fashion, but in the middle of it all, before all the prizes had been awarded, the whole thing was abruptly canceled. The undistributed treasure seemed to disappear, their whereabouts a 30-year mystery. Until now. Uh, they give a little history of the game. By the early 80s, Atari Inc. was at the pinnacle of success. Dreaming big wasn't a problem. The company ruled the burgeoning video game market, pulling in millions of dollars a year with its Atari 2600. One of the system's most acclaimed games was a fantasy adventure called, well, Adventure, uh, which is a 1979 game filled with dragons, and it had become a classic. Atari historian Kurt Vendel, co-author of the 2012 book Atari Inc. Business is Fun, if anyone's read that book, send me or, or send me a brief review or leave me a voicemail or something with a brief review of, of that book, because I'm not familiar with it. Uh, but apparently that guy said, in the wake of this Easter egg, meaning a rogue pixel in Adventure, that could be moved around to find a secret room that displayed the programmer's name. In the wake of that Easter egg becoming popular, marketing thought it would be a great idea to create a series of games where players would have to find clues both in the game and in physical materials. The proposed sequel to Adventure was the project that morphed into Sword Quest. In 82, Atari was owned by Warner Communications, which also happened to own another pair of companies, DC Comics and the Franklin Mint. They came up with a contest that somebody described as equal parts Willy Wonka and The Last Starfighter. The plan was to release a quartet of Sword Quest games, each based around one of the four elements, Earth World, Fire World, Water World, and Air World. Air World? Why is that hard to say? Air World. Each game would come with a tie-in comic book that gave a more detailed telling of the game's story than the pixelated graphics the Atari 2600 could achieve. The comic book books would also hide clues that, if correctly deciphered, current a player entry into a final tournament. The winner of each game's tournament would receive a special treasure ripped straight from the pages of the comic and brought to life by the Franklin Mint with real gemstones and gold. The winner of the Earthworld tournament would win the Talisman of Penultimate Truth. Fireworld Contest would award the Chalice of Light, Waterworld would get you the Crown of Life, and the Champion of Airworld would be awarded the Philosopher's Stone. Oh man, that's one of the best songs from the uh, Wonder Boys soundtrack. Wonder Boys being... Uh, the 2000 movie being the best movie ever. Go ahead, fight me on that. But I digress. In addition to these four prizes, the four winners would then compete for a final ultimate prize, the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. Each of the first four treasures would value, was valued at around $25,000. Dang. While the sword was valued at 50000 The series began in 82 with Earthworld, the accompanying comic book by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, Illustrated by George Perez, told the tale of twins Tara and Tor as they embarked on a quest to defeat the evil Tyrannus and collect the very same prize that the players were trying to win in the real world. Huh, imagine that. Earthworld sold around 500,000 copies, and around 5,000 players ended up submitting their answers. Of these, only eight Supreme Sages of Sorcery submitted the correct words, granting them access to the competition. In May of 83, the tournament was held at Atari headquarters in California. Each of the eight players was given a specially programmed version of Earthworld to complete in under 90 minutes. Stephen Bell, an unemployed 20-year-old from Detroit, took home the victory after he completed the game in 46 minutes. He got the Talisman of Penultimate Truth, 
a solid gold pendant inlaid with diamonds and other precious stones, and it was also hung with a small white gold sword. When asked what he was going to do with the $25,000 boondoggle, he said, quote, No plans yet. I didn't really expect to win. Maybe I'll get a car. I've never had one. By that point, the next game, Fireworld, had already been on shelves for three months, and players were already on their way to conquering the second volume's mysteries. The layout was based on the Tree of Life from the Kabbalah. Ten words were hidden within the comic book, with only five of them being the correct ones. The response to Fireworld puzzles was much larger than Earthworld. Atari sent out certificates awarding honorary titles to everyone who submitted, but there were so many winners this time that it had to whittle down the number of contestants from 73 to a manageable 50 by having each Knight of Chalice write an essay about what they liked about the game. The Fireworld tournament was finally held in January of 84, and each player competed using a specially programmed version of the game. The winner this time was Michael Rideout from Aiken, South Carolina, who beat the game in 50 minutes. Using the knowledge of the Tree of Life, he had gathered while dabbling in tarot. He won the Chalice of Light, fantasy-styled pimp cup, made of gold and platinum, studded with diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and pearls. Then came Waterworld, the third and unexpectedly final installment of the games. It was given a limited release in February of 84, made available only to official Atari Club members who mailed away for the game. The layout was based on the seven spiritual chakras popular in New Age belief, making for a smaller map than ever before, with just eight rooms to explore. Unfortunately for the anxious Atari Club members who took the time to solve Waterworld's puzzles, the entire Sword Quest campaign was abruptly canceled in the middle of 84. Most who had already entered were told they didn't qualify any longer, and both Rideout and Bell were given $15,000 and an Atari 7800 as compensation for being unable to compete for the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. Work had begun on both the game and comic book of Airworld, which would have been patterned after the I Ching. I'm not familiar with that. If anyone knows what the I Ching is, let me know. But neither was ever created, and the story was never finished. It seemed like Tyrannus had finally won. Contest can- cancellation was a result of Atari being purchased by controversial gaming CEO Jack Tramiel and his new company, Trammel Technology. The video game industry had been in decline since 83. Atari had finally bottomed out by mid of 84, which allowed the purchase of Atari Inc., an intellectual property for a song. Various divisions were sold and reassigned. Somewhere in the tornado of business, the remaining treasures of Sword Quest were seemingly lost. In an interview in 2005, Rideout confirmed he still had the chalice. The fate of the talisman is a bit more murky, although in the same interview he says that he'd heard Bell had it melted down by a coin dealer for college money, only keeping the white gold sword. The crown of life that would have been given to the winner of the Waterworld competition, Vendel says that it was awarded, but during a semi-secret tournament, the winner of which has never been revealed. Under, under contract, Warner was obligated to complete the contest, because players had submitted correct answers, and the game was sold to the public based on the fact that whoever solved the puzzle in the game would be awarded. There was a very quiet, non-public contest with the ten people who solved the Waterworld contest. The crown was awarded to the third prize winner. Since Airworld was never completed or sold, the game's contest didn't take place. The Philosopher's Stone and the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery were also thought to be lost. Vendel says they were destroyed. The popular myth is that the remaining prizes were included in Tremiel's purchase of Atari Inc., and he held on to them. Specifically, uh, he hung the old sort of ultimate sorcery over his mantle place. Tremiel passed away in 2012. Even lead designer Fry thinks that the prizes went to Tremiel. Vendel is vehement that this is all fantasy. So what did happen to the Philosopher's Stone and Sword of Ultimate Sorcery? Vendel told us he got the scoop from a former member of Warner, Warner Management. Quote, Once Atari was sold, those prizes languished at Franklin Mint. At some point, Franklin Mint disposed of them. They were not retained because why would they retain the prizes? It's a lot easier just to smelt it back down and turn them into gold coins or other things they could sell. There's still the glimmer of hope that the Crown of Life is still out there somewhere, awarded to some anonymous gamer who at this time has been a secret king. If any of you has the 
crown of whatever that was, um, of course, let me know. Uh, if you want to send it to me, that'd be okay. But seriously, if you know where it is, or you have a thought about where it is, or if you've seen it, especially if you have a photo, uh, let us know. All right, with that history, it's time to dive deep into Fire World. Burn, baby, burn. Please burn responsibly. Here at Atari Bytes, we're all about safety. Which is why when I found out we were playing a game called Fire World, I left in a proactive action. I met a guy who sold me some asbestos underwear to protect me from the flames. That's cool, right? He gave me a really good deal. Alright, let's play. Okay, so I'm in the opening screen. It's this really creepy shadow dude wearing earmuffs. Um, there's a couple of what look like clouds. I really liked the entrance and actually each transition from room to room because it's this weird tunnel effect and this kind of creepy mood, uh, mood music. Uh, it's kind of cool. That's me walking. Um, okay, now I touched a cloud. I keep calling it a cloud because it looks like the clouds in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the uh, Atari game. Now I am apparently catching birds in a basket. Not sure why I'm doing that, but all right, I'm done doing that now. I touched, maybe it was the same cloud. All right, I'm doing it again, I guess. I should mention I only glanced at the manual and I don't have the comic book, so. All right, let's go to the next room. I dig that uh, tunnel effect a lot. All right, so I'm in a room with a lot more doors. The same two clouds different coloring, uh, purple and orange this time. Now I'm catching birds in a bigger basket, but I can't move the basket this time. I really don't know what's going on. No fire yet. All right, let's go out this doorway. Another tunnel basket thing again? Come on. I can move the basket this time at least. Alright, let's go this way. Okay, clouds look a little different here. I'm gonna keep calling them clouds, just deal with it. Uh, blue room with some orange uh, around the edges. Whoa. Now I'm throwing uh, these weird cylinder things at birds. For some reason, this game hates birds. I don't know what's going on. Next room. I'm using a big stick to whack birds, but I can't really move the stick except left and right. Uh, the basket thing again. Why do I hate birds so much in this game? 
I am trapped in here with the birds. Actually, I guess the other ones were like that too. Alright, which way should we go now? Let's go left. Basket. Big non-moving basket this time. I have not seen a single object to pick up yet. I'm guessing that may be part of why this game was not so popular. It's weird and trippy, but not much happened. Alright, I'm doing this thing again. the idea which is mostly that I don't know what I'm doing so uh, that's pretty typical part for the course really let's call back to episode 214 um, back to you in the studio hey everyone this is Michael one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS cart by cart podcast do you like Atari of course you do what about the 8-bit computer line it was one of the best well how about you consider joining Bill David Kieran and myself as we review the cartridge based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line we also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about SwordQuest Fireworld. The little bit that I played today, uh, admittedly, the field report makes it clear I was not overly prepared to play. I did not put in the time to memorize what the different items look like or draw maps. I don't have the Fireworld comic to reference for clues. I mostly just turned the game on and wandered around the rooms a little bit. I get a huge... India or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe, Atari Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe, just the way the rooms look and the clouds, what I kept calling clouds, because that's what the clouds look like in other games, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think, but also like the um, like the combat games where you're the fighter pilots and stuff. My favorite part, I, I also get from the game a weird, even though it's nothing like it, a weird vibe of the classic 60s TV show The Prisoner just because that show is really trippy and weird stuff goes on and weird colors and weird tunnel effects and stuff. Because my favorite part of the little bit of Fireworld that I played today is going from room to room, and you have that weird tunnel effect going between the rooms. And for some reason, I get a prisoner vibe off of it. 
even though they're nothing alike in any other way. I think if I had more time, I might get into, and if I had more time and the comics, I might get into uh, trying to play a little bit more. Although, honestly, I don't know that I would because, of course, you can't finish it, right? Airworld doesn't exist. Waterworld, I think, is hard to come by, although I might have seen a cartridge somewhere. So, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think the story is really interesting of what Atari was trying to do in the 80s. But maybe the story is more interesting than the game itself. Um, I don't know. If any of you are big Sword Quest haters or devotees, let me know. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled Fire World Fire Sale. Mist swirled around the majestic columns and half working neon lighting of the store known as Fire World. One of those inflatable arm flailing tube men stood guard. He didn't look like much, burnt orange stripes and an ear-to-ear grin that conveyed blank joy. But the eyes, though they never blinked, never even moved, still saw everything. In the center of the Fireworld showroom, Felipe dozed lightly, paper clips tangled in his beard as he lay head down on the desk. The sleeping angle ruined the line of his tailored sparkly suit, but, well, it had been a slow day. When the low bell over the door jingled, Felipe startled and a few paper clips scattered to the floor the rest leaving a rainbow chain in his beard. At the sight of the two new customers, Felipe went into on mode. Ladies, Felipe boomed, elegantly swiping away the paper clips. Welcome to Fire World, your one-stop shop for the fire, for fire from ember to conflagration. Our deals are hot. He produced a golf-sized fireball that quickly extinguished. How can I burn you today in a good way? The two women, Madge and Constance, glowered down at the little salesman, virtually prostrate before them. Madge turned to Constance and said, We shouldn't be here. This wasn't on the shopping list. Her voice was piercing and awe-inspiring, but also the faintest whisper Felipe couldn't be quite sure he'd heard. It's fine, Constance said. Central office encourages spontaneity. Madge snorted at that. (laughs) Central office isn't spontaneous. Central office is as predictable as the mortal's bowel movements. Constance sighed. (sighs) Sir, she said to Felipe, we're under orders to obtain fire. No, we're not, Madge countered. Well, we weren't told not to, Constance said. Felipe beamed. You've come to the right place, he gestured grandly around the empty showroom. We have everything from tasteful candle power, at which point a candelabra appeared and the wicks self-ignited, all the way up to molten lava. The floor became a sea of magma that returned to normal just as quickly. If you want to go big, we can provide awe-inspiring planetary devastation by flaming asteroid. The walls were engulfed engulfed in flame that dissipated just as quickly. Madge was unimpressed. Well, our boss does like grand statements, Constance said. He likes water, floods, waves, storms, Madge said. He can't do water all the time, Constance said. This will be better. Constance turned back to Felipe. I guess what we're looking for is more localized. Felipe nodded emphatically, though he didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I see, I see. A little fire for the neighborhood, huh? An accident with the toaster that provides a teachable moment? 
or maybe torch the community rec center just to show who's boss. Hmm, not really sure, Constance said, becoming concerned this wouldn't be just an impulse buy. Madge's eye rolling was palpable. Let's just go. Felipe was not going to lose this sale. We have a wide assortment, all the way from Class A, paper and other solids, to Class F for that nasty kitchen grease fire. You want to burn metals? Class D for dynamite is your answer. Ever see titanium burn? I have. It's amazing. As he spoke, the mentioned flammables stepped onto the showroom floor from who knows where, took a bow, and burst into the relevant flame. Constance jumped back every time. Felipe gestured theatrically, and and Madge stood her ground, generally unimpressed. Fascinating, Constance gushed. Can you give us a price range? Felipe beamed. My friends, you are in so much luck right now. Today only, Fireworld is having a, wait for it, fire sale. Everything must go. No way, Madge sneered sarcastically. Yes way, Felipe said, ignoring the tone. How much for something, oh, kitchen-sized, Constance said. Ah, doing a little cooking, eh? Class C propane fire is your jam. Maybe the boss invites Fredo over for some cannoli and takes him down? Uh, Constance said. That's from a movie, Madge said impatiently, and not how Fredo died. Can we move this along, please? We mustn't be hasty, Felipe said to Madge. Fire is alive. For everyone is a different experience. The heat and speed and power is both friend and foe, helper and destroyer. The right fire for your life is not a choice to be made quickly. You're so right, Constance gushed. My friend, Felipe said, putting a gentle arm around Constance's shoulder. Come, let me show you some options. He escorted Constance to a patchwork quilt of flame that hung on a far wall of the showroom. Each patch burned from orange to blue to white hot, radiating its own kind of heat. Some even burned cold. Madge shook her head. She couldn't help but think of the time she and Constance went shopping for a simple stomach virus and returned to central office with an army of locusts and a robot tank battalion. Don't go crazy over there, Constance, Madge called. Please, Constance said. I'm just looking. The next week, Felipe was named sales creature of the month. He got the good parking spot and was allowed to live at least another 30 days. For procuring the infinite supply of hilarious trick trick birthday candles that never burn out, Constance was made head of purchasing. For attempting to extinguish them with the blood ocean Madge insisted on picking up on the way back to central office, thereby staining the calico-patterned carpet in the central office rumpus room, Madge was demoted to an eon of wetting her fingers and trying to extinguish the unextinguishable candles. Remember, kids, fire good, blood oceans bad, and never the twain shall meet. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, but make sure you leave a five-alarm fire. I mean, five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. And don't forget, you can call and leave us a voicemail too, 563-265-1978. Leave a message about any damn thing you want, and there's a pretty good chance I'll play it on the show. 
Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links about this show, along with social media posts, um, the same stuff for my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, uh, the monthly deep dive into all things related to peanuts, the comic strips with Snoopy and Charlie Brown and whatnot, the mind of Charles Schultz, the TV specials, the merchandise. We've had actors, we've had playwrights, we've had all sorts of people on the show. It's just a really good time talking about an iconic piece of popular culture. And information and all sorts of stuff is over there at carnivalofgleecreations.com. You can also find out uh, about books that I've written, including Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. Uh, There's information about the books and links to just some of the places you can order the books, if you're so inclined, over there on the website. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. It helps keep the lights on here at the store, uh, here at the studio, and it allows you to keep an eye on these people. Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, and Aerospike, who are already Patreon subscribers. And, as a subscriber, you will get stuff. You could get episodes early, uh, before everyone else. You can be the envy of all the other podcast listeners in the world by getting Atari Bytes a little bit early. You might also get bonus stuff. Uh, Occasionally, I put up an episode of stuff that you don't hear about on this show every week. It's bonus stuff. It's extra stuff. Lately, we've been looking at Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures, an animated cartoon series. Uh, I'm hoping to put another episode of that up soon. Uh, And we do other stuff, too. And the only way you can hear it is if you are a subscriber at the appropriate level to uh, get access to that stuff. So please consider doing that. Thank you in advance. Uh, And thanks to those subscribers that I mentioned. There is still a store, Zazzle.com, AB underscore pod underscore store, with Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You stuff there. It is now March. I keep saying I'm going to update the store. I'm still hoping to do that in 2020. I will keep you posted next time on Atari Bytes. So a while ago, for Christmas, I got uh, a flashback. I don't have the flashback in front of me. I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's the most recent one. Uh, And there's a whole slew of games on there, Uh, some of which we've already done on the show, but some that we have not, a bunch that we have not, actually. So I'm going to talk about one of those. It's Adventure 2, coincidentally. Uh, We mentioned Adventure earlier in the show. This was Adventure 2. So, we're going to check that out next week. I have never played this game before. Uh, We'll see what it's like. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.